Sharp's Gun Serenade by Robert Howard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Sharp's Gun Serenade by Robert Howard. I was heading for war paint jogging along easy and comfortable when i seen a galoot coming up the trail in a cloud of dust just a burn in the breeze he didn't stop to pass the time of day he went past me so fast captain kidd missed the snap he made at his hoss which shows he was sure high tailing it i recognized him as jack sprague a young waddy which worked on a spread not far from war paint. His face was pale and sought in a look of desperate resolution like a man which has just bed his pants on a pair of deuces, and he had a rope in his hand, though I couldn't see nothing he might be aiming to lasso. He went fogging on up the trail into the mountains, and I looked back to see if I could see the posse because about the only time an outlander ever heads for the high Humboldts is when he's about three jumps and a low hoop ahead of a necktie party. I seen another cloud of dust all right, but it warn't big enough for more than one man, and pretty soon I seen it was Bill Glanton of war paint. But that was good enough reason for Sprague's haste if Bill was on the prod. Glanton is from Texas, original, and whilst he is a sentimental cuss in repose, he's a ring-tailed wizard with star-spangled wheels when his feelings is ruffled, and his feelings is ruffled tolerable easy. As soon as he seen me, he yelled, Where'd he go? Who, I says. Us humble folks ain't overflowing with casual information. Jack Sprague, says he. You must have saw him. Where'd he go? He didn't say, I says. Glanton ground his teeth slightly and says, Don't start your durned hillbilly stallin' with me. I ain't got time to waste the week or so it takes to get the information out of a Humboldt Mountain varmint. I ain't chasin' that misguided idiot to do him injury. I'm pursuin' him to save his life. A gal in war paint has jilted him, and he's so broke up about it He's threatening to ride right over the mortal ridge. Us boys has been watching him and following him around, taking pistols and rat pison and the like away from him. But this morning he gives us the slip and taken to the hills. It was a waitress in the Ball and Heifer restaurant which put me onto his trail. He told her he was going up in the hills where he wouldn't be interfered with and hang himself. Uh, so that's why he had the rope, I says. Well, it's his own business, ain't it? No, it ain't, says Bill sternly. When a man is in his state, he ain't responsible, and it's the duty of his friends to look after him. He'll thank us in the days to come. Anyway, he owes me six bucks, and if he hangs himself, I'll never get paid. Come on, dang it. He'll lynch himself while we stands here jawing. Well, all right, I says. After all, I got to think about the reputation of the Humboldts, they ain't never been a suicide committed up here before. Quite right, says Bill. Nobody ever got a chance to kill a self up here. Someone else always done it for him. 
but I ignored this slander, and reined Captain Kidd around just as he was fixing to bite off Bill's hoss's ear. Jack had left the trail, but he left sign a blind man could foller. He had a long start on us, but we both had better hosses than his'n, and after a while we come to where he'd tied his hoss among the brash at the foot of Cougar Mountain. We tied our hosses too, and pushed through the brash on foot, and right away we seen him. He was climbing up the slope toward a ledge which had a tree growing on it. One limb stuck out over the edge, and was just right to make a swell gallows, as I told Bill. But Bill was in a lather. He'll get to that ledge before we can catch him, says he. What'll we do? Shoot him in the leg, I suggested. But Bill says, No, darn it. He'll bust hisself falling down the slope. And if we start after him, he'll hustle up to the ledge and hang hisself before we can get to him. Look there, though. There's a thicket growing up the slope west of the ledge. You circle round and crawl up through it whilst I get out in the open and attracts his attention. I'll try to keep him talking till you can get up there and grab him from behind. So I ducked low in the brash and ran around the foot of the slope till I come to the thicket. Just before I div into the tangle, I seen Jack had got to the ledge and was fastening his rope to the limb which stuck out over the edge. Then I couldn't see him no more because that thicket was so dense and full of briars it was about like crawling through a pile of fighting bobcats. But as I wormed my way through it, I heard Bill yell, Hey, Jack, don't do that, you darn fool. Let me alone, Jack hollered. Don't come no closer. This here's a free country. I got a right to hang myself if I wanna. But it's a damn fool thing to do, wailed Bill. My life is ruined, asserted Jack. My true love has been betrayed. I'm a wilted tumblebug, I, I mean tumbleweed, on the sands of time. Destiny has slapped the zero brand on my flank. I, I don't know what else he said, because at that moment I stepped into something which let out a ear-splitting squall and attached itself violently to my hind leg. That was just my luck with all the thickets they was in the Humboldts. A darn cougar had to be sleeping in that un, and of course it had to be me which stepped on him. Well, no cougar's a match for a Elkins in a stand-up fight, but the way to lick him, the cougar, I mean, there ain't no way to lick a Elkins, is to get your lick in before he can clinch with you. But the brash was so thick, I didn't see him till he had hold to me, and I was so stuck up with them dern briars, I couldn't hardly move nohow. So before I had time to do anything about it, he had sunk most of his tushes and claws into me, and was retching for new holts as fast as he could rake. It was old Brighamer, too, the biggest, meanest, and oldest cat in the Humboldts. Cougar Mountain is named for him, and he's so dang tough, he ain't even scared of Captain Kidd which is plumb pison to all cat animals. Before I could get old Brighamer by the neck and haul him loose from me, he had clawed my clothes all to pieces and likewise lacerated my hide, free and generous. In fact, he made me so mad that when I did get him loose, 
I'd taken him by the tail and mowed down the brash in a fifteen-foot circle around me with him till the hair wore off his tail and it slipped out of my hands. Old Brigamer then legged it down off the mountain, squalling fit to bust your eardrums. He was the maddest cougar you ever seen, but not mad enough to renew the fray. He must have recognized me. At that moment I heard Bill yelling for help up above me, so I headed up the slope, swearing loud and bleeding freely, and crashing through them bushes like a wild bull. Evidently the time for stealth and silence was past. I busted into the open and seen Bill hopping around on the edge of the ledge, trying to get hold of Jack, which was kicking like a grasshopper on the end of the rope, just out of reach. One just sneak up soft and easy, like I said, howled Bill. I was just about to argue him out of the notion. He tied the rope around his neck and was standing on the edge when that racket bust loose in the brush and scared him so bad he fell off of the ledge. Do something. Shoot the rope in two, I suggested. But Bill said, No, you cussed fool. He'd fall down the cliff and break his neck. But I seen it warn't a very big tree, so I went and got my arms around it and give it a heave and loosen the roots, then kind of twisted it around so the limb Jack was hung to was over the ledge now. I reckon I busted most of the roots in the process, judging from the noise. Bill's eyes popped out when he seen that, and he retched up kind of dazed-like and got the rope with his buoy. Only he forgot to grab Jack before he cut it, and Jack hit the ledge with a resounding thud. I believe he's dead, says Bill, despairingful. I'll never get that six bucks. Look how purple he is. Aw, says I, biting me off a chew of tobacco. All men which has been hung looks that way. I remember once the vigilantes hung Uncle Jefford Grimes, taking us three hours to bring him to after we cut him down. Of course he'd been hanging an hour before we found him. Shut up and help me revive him, snarled Bill, getting the noose off his neck. You select the damnedest times to converse about the sins of your infernal relatives. Look, he's coming too, because Jack had begun to gasp and kick around. So Bill brung out a bottle and poured a snort down his gullet. Pretty soon Jack sot up and felt his neck. His jaws wagged, but didn't make no sound. Glanton now seemed to notice my disheveled condition for the first time. What the hell happened to you? he asked in amazement. Oh, I stepped on old Brighamer, I scowled. Well, wouldn't you hang on to him? he demanded. Don't you know there's a big bounty on his belt? We could have split the dough. I've had a belly full of old Brighamer, I replied irritably. I don't care if I never see him again. Look what he done to my best britches. If you want that bounty, you go after it yourself. And let me alone, unexpectedly spoke up Jack, eyeing us balefully. I'm free, white, and twenty-one. I hangs myself if I wants to. You won't neither, says Bill sternly. Me and your pa is old friends, and I aim to save your worthless life if I have to kill you to do it. I defies you, 
squawked Jack, making a sudden dive between Bill's legs, and he would have got clean away if I hadn't snagged the seat of his breeches with my spur. He then displayed startling ingratitude by hitting me with a rock, and whilst we was tying him up with a hanging rope, his language was scandalous. "'Did you ever see such a idiot?" demands Bill, setting on him and fanning himself with a Stetson. "'What are we going to do with him? We can't keep him tied up forever. we got to watch him close till he gets out of the notion of killing himself,' I says. "'He can stay at our cabin for a spell.' "'Ain't you got some sisters?' says Jack. "'A whole cabin full,' I says, with feeling. "'You can't hardly walk without stepping on one.' "'Why?' "'I won't go,' says he bitterly. "'I don't never want to see no woman again, not even a mountain woman. "'I'm an embittered man. "'The honey of love has turned to tranchler pison. "'Leave me to the buzzards and the cougars.' "'I got it,' says Bill. "'We'll take him on a hunting trip, way up in the high Humboldts. "'They's some of that country I'd like to see myself.' Reckon you're the only white man which has ever been up there, Breck, if we was to call you a white man. What you mean by that there remark? I demanded heatedly. You know damn well I ain't got nary a drop of injun blood in me. Hey, look out! I glimpsed a furry hide through the brush, and thinking it was old Brighamer coming back, I pulled my pistols and started shooting at it, when a familiar voice yelled wrathfully, Hey, you cut that out! Learn it. The next instant, a peculiar figure hove into view. A tall, gant old ranny, with long hair and whiskers, with a club in his hand, and a painter hide tied around his middle. Sprague's eyes bugged out, and he says, Who in the name of God is that? Another victim of feminine wiles, I says. That's old Joshua Braxton, of Chawed Ear the oldest and toughest bachelor in South Nevada. I judge that Miss Stark, the old maid school teacher, has renewed her matrimonical designs onto him. When she starts rolling sheep's eyes at him, he always dons that there garb and takes to the high Sierras. It's the only way to protect myself, snarled Joshua. She'd marry me by force if I didn't resort to strategy. Not many folks comes up here and such as does don't recognize me in this rig. What you varmints disturbing my solitude for? Your racket woke me up over in my cave. When I seen old Brigamer hightailing it for distant parts, I figured Elkins was on the mountain. We're here to save this young idiot from his own folly, says Bill. You come up here because a woman wants to marry you. Jack come up here to decorate a oak limb with his own carcass because one wouldn't marry him. Some men never knows their luck, says old Joshua enviously. Now me, I yearns to return to Chaudier, which I've been away from for a month. But whilst that old mud hen of a Miss Stark is there, I haunts the wilderness if it takes the rest of my life. Well, be at ease, Josh, says Bill. Miss Stark ain't there no more. She pulled out for Arizona three weeks ago. Hallelujah, 
says Joshua, throwing away his club. Now I can return and take my place among men. Hold on, says he, reaching for his club again. Likely they'll be getting some other old harridan to take her place. That new-fangled schoolhouse they got at Chaudier is a curse and a blight. We'll never be shed of husband-hunting, arithmetic shooters. I'd better stay up here after all. Don't worry, says Bill. I seen a picture of the gal that's coming from the east to take Miss Stark's place. I can assure you that a gal as young and pretty as her wouldn't never try to slap her brand on no old buzzard like you. Young and purty, you says? I asked with sudden interest. As a racin' fella, he declared. First time I ever known a school marm could be less than forty and have a face that didn't look like the beginnings of a long drought. She's doin' chawed ear on the evening stage, and the whole town turns out to welcome her. The mayor aims to make a speech if he's sober enough, and they got a band up to play. Damn foolishness, snorted Joshua. I don't take no stock in education. I don't know, says I. That was before I got educated. These times when I wished I could read and write, we ain't never had no school on Bear Creek. What would you read outside of the labels on the whiskey bottles? snorted old Joshua. Funny how a purty face changes a man's viewpoint, remarked Bill. I remember once Miss Stark asked you how you folks up on Bear Creek would like for her to come up and teach your children, and you taken one look at her face and told her it was again the principles of Bear Creek to have their peaceful innocence invaded by the corrupting influences of education. You said the folks was all banded together to resist such corruption to the last drop of blood. It's my duty to Bear Creek to provide culture for the rising generation, says I, ignoring them slanderous remarks. I feels the urge for knowledge a heaving and a surgeon in my bosom. We're going to have a school on Bear Creek, by golly, if I have to lick every old moss back in the Humboldts. I'll build a cabin for the schoolhouse myself. Where'll you get a teacher? asked Joshua. Chawed ear ain't going to let you have theirn. Chawed ear is too, I says. If they won't give her up peaceful, I resorts to force. Bear Creek is going to have culture if I have to wade fetlock deep in gore to provide it. Let's go. I'm rarin' to open the ball for arts and letters. Are you all with me? No, says Jack, plenty emphatic. What we going to do with him? demands Glanton. Oh, I says, we'll tie him up some place along the road and pick him up as we come back by. All right, says Bill, ignoring Jack's impassioned protest. I'd just as soon. My nerves is frayed, riding herd on this young idiot, and I needs a little excitement to quieten them. You can always be counted on for that. Anyway, I'd like to see that there school marm gal myself. How about you, Joshua? You're both crazy growls Joshua. But I've lived up here on nuts and jackrabbits till I ain't sure of my own sanity. Anyway, 
I know the only way to disagree successfully with Elkins is to kill him, and I got strong doubts of being able to do that. Lead on. I'll do anything within reason to help keep education out of chawed ear. Tain't only my personal feelings regarding school teachers. It's the principle of the thing. Get your clothes on and let's hustle then, I says. This painter hide is all I got, says he. You can't go down into the settlements in that rig, I says. I can and will, says he. I look as civilized as you do with your clothes all tore to rags, kind of old Brighamer. I got a hoss close by. I'll get him if old Brighamer ain't already. So Joshua went to get his hoss, and me and Bill toted Jack down the slope to where our hosses was. His conversation was plentiful and heated, but we ignored it and was just tying him onto his hoss when Joshua arrove with his critter. Then the trouble started. Captain Kidd evidently thought Joshua was some kind of varmint because every time Joshua came nigh him, he'd take him in after him and run him up a tree. And every time Joshua tried to come down, Captain Kidd busted loose from me and run him back up again. I didn't get no help from Bill. All he'd done was laugh like a spotted hyena till Captain Kidd got irritated at them guffaws and kicked him in the belly and knocked him clean through a clump of spruces. Time I got him untangled, he looked about as disreputable as what I did because most of his clothes was tore off of him. We couldn't find his hat, neither, so I tore up what was left of my shirt and he tied the pieces round his head like a Apache. Except in Jack, we was sure a wild-looking bunch. But I was disgusted thinking about how much time we was wasting whilst all the time Bear Creek was wallering in ignorance. So the next time Captain Kidd went for Joshua, I took and busted him betwixt the ears with my six-shooter, and that had some effect onto him, a little. So we sought out, with Jack tied onto his hoss and cussing something terrible, and Joshua on a gaunt old nag he rode bareback with a hackamore. I had Bill to ride betwixt him and me so's to keep that painter hide as far away from Captain Kidd as possible, but every time the wind shifted and blowed the smell to him, Captain Kidd retched over and taken a bite at Joshua. Sometimes he bit Bill's hoss by accident, and sometimes he bit Bill. And the language Bill directed at that poor animal was shocking to hear. We was aiming for the trail that runs down from Bear Creek into the Chawed Ear Road, and we hit it a mile west of Bowie Knife Pass. We left Jack tied to a nice shady oak tree in the pass and told him we'd be back for him in a few hours, but some folks is never satisfied. Instead of being grateful for all the trouble we'd went to for him, he acted right nasty and called us some names I wouldn't have endured if he'd been in his right mind. But we tied his hoss to the same tree and hustled down the trail and presently come out onto the war paint chawed ear road some miles west of Chaudier, and there we sighted our first human, a feller on a pinto mare, and when he seen us he give a shriek and took out down the road toward Chaudier like the devil had him by the britches. Let's ask him if the teachers got there yet, I suggested. So we taken out after him, yelling for him to wait a minute, but he just spurred his hoss that much harder, and before we'd gone any peace, Joshua's fool hoss jostled again Captain Kidd, which smelt that painter's skin and got the bit between his teeth and 
run Joshua and his hoss three miles through the brush before I could stop him. Bill followed us, and of course, time we got back to the road, the feller on the pinto mare was out of sight long ago. So we headed for Chaudier, but everybody that lived along the road had run into their cabins and bolted the door, and they shot at us through the winders as we rode by. Bill said irritably, after having his off-ear nicked by a buffalo rival, he says, "'Turn it, they must know we aim to steal their school-teacher.' "'Oh, they couldn't know that,' I says. "'I bet they's a war between Chaudier and Warpaint.' "'Oh, what are they shooting at me for, then?' demanded Joshua. "'How could they recognize you in that rig?' I asked. "'What's that?' "'Ahead of us, away down the road, we seen a cloud of dust, "'and here come a gang of men on hosses, waving guns and yelling. "'Well, whatever the reason is,' says Bill, "'we better not stop to find out. "'Them gents is out for blood, and,' says he, "'as the bullets begin to knock up the dust around us, "'I judge it's our blood. "'Pull into the bresh, says I. "'I goes to Chaudier in spite of hell, high water, "'and all the gunmen they can raise. "'So we take into the bresh, "'and they lit in after us, about forty or fifty of them. "'But we dodged and circled and taken shortcuts old Joshua knowed about, and when we emerged into the town of Chaudiers, our pursuers weren't nowheres in sight. In fact, they weren't nobody in sight. All the doors was closed and the shutters up on the cabins and saloons and stores and everything. It was peculiar. As we rode into the clearing, somebody let bam at us with a shotgun from the nearest cabin, and the load combed Joshua's whiskers. This made me mad, so I rode at the cabin and pulled my foot out in the stirrup and kicked the door in, and whilst I was doing this the feller inside hollered and jumped out the window, and Bill grabbed him by the neck. It was Esau Barlow, one of Chaud Ears' confirmed citizens. What the hell's the matter with you buzzards? roared Bill. Is that you, Glanton? gasped Esau, blinking his eyes. "'Of course it's me,' roared Bill. "'Do I look like a injun?' "'Yes. Ow! I mean, I didn't know you in that there turban,' says Esau. "'Am I dreaming, or is that Josh Braxton and Breck Ilkins?' "'Sure it's us,' snorted Joshua. "'Who you think?' "'Well,' says Esau, rubbing his neck and looking sideways at Joshua's painter skin, I didn't know. Where is everybody? Joshua demanded. Well, says Esau, a little while ago Dick Lynch rode into town with his hoss all of a lather and swore he'd just outrun the wildest war party that ever come down from the hills. Boys, says Dick, they ain't neither Injuns nor white men. They're wild men, that's what. One of them's big as a grizzly bar with no shirt on, and he's riding a hoss, bigger than a bull moose. One of the others is as ragged and ugly as him, but not so big and wearing a patchy headdress. The other's got nothing on but a painter's hide and a club, and his hair and whiskers falls to his shoulders when they seen me, says Dick. They sot up awful yells and come for me like a gang of man-eatin' cannibals. I've fogged it for town, 
says Dick, warning everybody along the road to fort themselves in their cabins. Well, says Esau, when he says that, such men as was left in town got their hosses and guns, and they taken out up the road to meet the war party before it got into town. Well, of all the fools, I says. Say, where's the new teacher? The stage ain't a riv yet, says he. The mayor and the band rode out to meet it at the Yaller Creek crossing and escort her into town in honor. They left before Dick brung news of the war party. Come on, I says to my warriors. We likewise meets that stage. So we fogged it on through the town and down the road, and pretty soon we heard music blaring ahead of us and men yippin' and shootin' off their pistols like they does when they're celebratin'. So we judged they'd met the stage and was escortin' it in. What you gonna do now? asked Bill. And about that time a noise bust out behind us, and we looked back and seen that gang of chawed-ear maniacs which had been chasing us, dustin' down the road after us, wavin' their Winchesters. I know there weren't no use try to explain to em we weren't no war party of cannibals. They'd salivate us before we could get close enough to make em hear what we was saying. So I yelled, Come on, if they get her into town they'll fort theirselves agin us. We takes her now. Follow me. So we swept down the road and around the bend. And there was that stagecoach coming up the road with the mayor riding alongside with his hat in his hand and a whiskey bottle sticking out of each saddlebag and his hip pocket. He was orating at the top of his voice to make himself heard above the racket the band was making. They was blowing horns and banging drums and twanging on Jews' harps, and the hosses was skittish and shying and jumping. But we heard the mayor say, and so we welcomes you, Miss Devon, to our peaceful little community where life runs smooth and tranquil and men's souls is overflowin' with milk and honey. And just then we stormed around the bend and come tearin' down on em with the mob right behind us, yellin' and cussin' and shootin', free and fervent. The next minute... They was the damnedest mix-up you ever seen. What with the hosses buckin' their riders off, men yellin' and cussin', the hosses hitched to the stage runnin' away and knockin' the mayor offin' his hoss. We hit em like a cyclone and they shot at us and hit us over the head with their music horns, and right in the middle of the fray the mob behind us rounded the bend and piled up amongst us before they could check their hosses, and everybody was so confused they started fighting everybody else. Nobody knowed what it was all about except me and my warriors, but Chaudier's motto is, when in doubt, shoot. So they laid into us and into each other, free and hearty, and we was far from idle. Old Joshua was laying out his fellow townsmen right and left with his elm club, saving Chaudier from education in spite of itself. And Glanton was beating the band over their heads with his six-shooter, and I was trompling folks in my rush for the stage. The fool hosses had whirled around and started in the general direction of the Atlantic Ocean, and the driver and the shotgun guard couldn't stop em.
but Captain Kidd overtook it and maybe a dozen strides, and I left the saddle in a flying leap and landed on it. The guard tried to shoot me with his shotgun, so I throwed it into an alder clump, and he didn't let go of it quick enough, so he went along with it. I then grabbed the ribbons out of the driver's hands and swung them fool horses around on their hind legs, and the stage kind of revolved on one wheel for a dizzy instant, and then settled down again, and we headed back up the road lickety-split, and in an instant was right amongst the fracas that was going on around Bill and Joshua. About that time I noticed that the driver was trying to stab me with a butcher knife, so I kind of tossed him off the stage, and there ain't no sense in him going around threatening to have me arrested, account of him landing head first in the base horn, so it taken seven men to pull him out. He ought to watch where he falls when he gets throwed off of a stage going at a high run. I also feels that the mayor is prone to carry petty grudges, or he wouldn't be so bitter about me accidentally running over him with all four wheels. And it ain't my fault he was stepped on by Captain Kidd, neither. Captain Kidd was just following the stage because he knowed I was on it. And it naturally irritates him to stumble over somebody, and that's why he chawed the mayor's ear. As for them other fellers which happened to get knocked down and run over by the stage, I didn't have nothing personal again em. I was just rescuing Joshua and Bill, which was outnumbered about twenty to one. I was doing them chaudier idiots a favor, if they only knowed it, because in about another minute Bill would have started using the front ends of his six-shooters instead of the butts, and the fight would have turned into a massacre. Bill has got a awful temper. Him and Joshua had did the enemy considerable damage, but the battle was going again em when I arrive on the field of carnage. As the stage crashed through the mob, I wretched down and got Joshua by the neck and pulled him out from under about fifteen men which was beaten into death with their gun butts and pulling out his whiskers by the handfuls. And I slung him up on top of the other luggage. About that time we was rushing past the dog pile which Bill was the center of, and I reached down and snared him as we went by. But three of the men, which had hold of him, wouldn't let go. So I hauled all four of them up onto the stage. I then handled the team with one hand, and used the other to pull them idiots loose from Bill like pulling ticks off in a cow's hide, then throwed them at the mob which was chasing us. Men and hosses piled up in a stack on the road, which was further messed up by Captain Kidd plowing through it as he come busting along after the stage. And by the time we sighted Chaudier again, our enemies was far behind us, though still rambunctious. We tore through Chaudier in a fog of dust, and the women and children which had ventured out of their shacks squalled and run back again, though they weren't in no danger. But Chaudier folks is peculiar that way. When we was out of sight of Chaudier, I give the lines to Bill and swung down the side of the stage and stuck my head in. They was one of the prettiest gals I ever seen in there, 
all huddled up in a corner and looking so pale and scared I was afraid she was going to faint, which I'd heard eastern gals has a habit of doing. Oh, spare me, she begged. Please don't scalp me. Be at ease, Miss Devon, I reassured her. I ain't no Injun, nor no wild man neither. Neither is my friends here. We wouldn't none of us hurt a flea. We're that refined and soft-hearted you wouldn't believe it. At that instant a wheel hit a stomp and the stage jumped into the air and I bit my tongue and roared in some irritation. Bill, you condemned son of a striped polecat, stop this stage before I comes up there and breaks your cussed neck. Try, you beef-headed lummox, he invites. But he pulled up the hosses, and I'd taken off my hat and opened the door. Bill and Joshua clumbed down and peered over my shoulder. Miss Devon looked tolerable sick. Maybe it was something she et. Miss Devon, I says, I begs your pardon for this here informal welcome, but you sees before you a man whose heart bleeds for the benighted state of his native community. I'm Breckenridge Elkins of Bear Creek, where hearts is pure and motives is lofty, but culture is weak. You sees before you, says I, growing more enthusiastic about education, the longer I looked at them big brown eyes of hern. A man which is growed up in ignorance. I can't neither read nor write. Joshua here, in the painter's skin, he can't neither. And neither can Bill. That's a lie, says Bill. I can read and... I kind of stuck my elbow in his stomach. I didn't want him to spile the effect of my speech. Miss Devon was getting some of her color back. Miss Devon, I says... Will you please, ma'am, come up to Bear Creek and be our school teacher? Why, says she bewilderedly, I came west expecting to teach at Chaud Ear, but I haven't signed any contract, and how much was them snake hunters going to pay you? I asked. Ninety dollars a month, says she. We pays you a hundred, I says, board and lodging free. Hell's fire, says Bill. They never was that much hard cash money on Bear Creek. We all donates coon hides and corn liquor, I snapped. I sells the stuff in war paint and hands the dough to Miss Devon. Will you keep your snout out of my business? But what will the people of chewed ears say, she wonders. Nothing, I told her heartily. I'll tend to them. It seems so strange and irregular, says she weakly. I don't know. Then it's settled, I says. Great, let's go. Where? she gasped, grabbing hold of the stage as I clumb into the seat. Bear Creek, I says. Varmints and hoss thieves hunt the brush. Culture is on her way to Bear Creek. And we went fogging it down the road as fast as the horses could hump it. Onst I looked back at Miss Devon and seen her getting pale again, so I yelled above the clatter of the wheels. Don't be scared, Miss Devon. Ain't nothing gonna hurt you. B. Elkins is on the job to protect you, and I aim to be at your side from now on. At this, she said something I didn't understand. In fact, it sounded like a low moan. Then I heard Joshua say to Bill, hollering to make himself heard, 
Education, my eye. The big chump's looking for a wife, that's what. Ten to one she gives him the mitten. I takes that, bawled Bill, and I bellered. Shed up that noise. Quit discussing my private business so darn public. I, what's that? It sounded like firecrackers popping back down the road. Bill yelled, Holy smoke, it's them chaudier maniacs. They're still on our trail and they're gaining on us. Cussin' heartily, I poured leather onto them fool hosses, and just then we hit the mouth of the Bear Creek Trail and I swung onto it. They'd never been a wheel on that trail before, and the going was tolerable rough. It was all Bill and Joshua could do to keep from getting throwed off, and they was seldom more than one wheel on the ground at a time. Naturally, the mob gained on us, and when we roared up into Bowie Knife Pass, they weren't more than a quarter mile behind us. Whoopin' bodacious! I pulled up the hosses beside the tree where Jack Sprague was still tied up. He gawped at Miss Devon, and she gawped back at him. Listen, I says, here's a lady in distress which we're rescuing from teaching school and chawed ear. A mob's right behind us. This ain't no time to think about yourself. Will you postpone your suicide if I turns you loose and get onto the stage and take the young lady up the trail while the rest of us turn back the mob? I will, says he with more enthusiasm than he'd showed since we stopped him from hanging himself. So I cut him loose and he clumb onto the stage. Drive on to Kiowa Canyon, I told him as he picked up the lines. Wait for us there. Don't be scared, Miss Devon. I'll soon be with you. B. Elkins never fails a lady fair. Yup, says Jack, and the stage went clattering and banging up the trail, and me and Joshua and Bill taking cover among the big rocks that was on either side of the trail. The pass was just a narrow gorge, and a lovely place for an ambush, as I remarked. Well, here they come, howling up the steep slope, yelling and spurring and shooting wild, and me and Bill give em a salute with our pistols. The charge halted plumb sudden. They knowed they was licked. They couldn't get at us because they couldn't climb the cliffs. So after firing a volley, which damaged nothing but the atmosphere, they turned around and high-tailed it back towards Chaudier. I hope that's a lesson to em, says I, as I riz. Come, I can't wait to get culture started on Bear Creek. You can't wait to get sparkin' that gal, snorted Joshua. But I ignored him and forked Cap'n Kid and headed up the trail, and him and Bill followed, riding double on Jack Sprague's horse. Why should I deny my honorable intentions, I says presently. Anyone can see Miss Devon is already learning to love me. If Jack had my attraction for the fair sex, he wouldn't be lugging around a ruined life. Hey, where's the stage? Because we'd reached Kiowa Canyon, and they weren't no stage. Here's a note stuck on a tree, says Bill. I'll read it. Well, for Lord's sake, he yelped. Listen to this. Dear boys, I've decided I ain't going to hang myself, and Miss Devon has decided she don't want to teach school at Bear Creek. Breck gives her the willies. She ain't altogether sure he's human. With me it's love at first sight, 
and she's scared if she don't marry somebody, Breck will marry her, and she says I'm the best-looking prospect she saw so far. So we're heading for war paint to get married. Yours truly, Jack Sprague. Oh, don't take it like that, says Bill, as I give a maddened howl, and impulsively commence to rip up all the saplings in wretch. You've saved his life and brung him happiness. And what have I brung me? I yelled, tearing the limbs off a oak in an effort to relieve my feelings. Culture on Bear Creek is shot to hell, and my honest love has been betrayed. Bill Glanton, the next ranny you chase up into the Humboldts to commit suicide, he don't have to worry about getting bumped off. I attends to it myself, personal. End of Sharp's Gun Serenade